Chapter Four of That Affair at Portstead Manor by Gladys Edson Locke. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. Clavering has a night of adventure. Mr. Clavering went up to bed, but not to sleep. It was the beginning of a series of sleepless nights for him and all at Portstead Manor. He found himself weary and yet wakeful, obsessed by unwelcome suspicions, and tossing restlessly from side to side in vain search for the sleep that would not come. Far away a chiming clock struck one, but otherwise a deathly hush held the old house. Suddenly came a sound to his ear, muffled, though resonant and unmistakable, a woman's sob, the heavy, strangling gasp of one in the throes of anguish or despair. Mr. Clavering sat up in bed and listened intently. The noise could not have been far away, and was probably in the west wing near his room. It could not have come from Lady Pevensey, for she slept in the east wing. The only women whose rooms were near his were Lady Ursula and Elsie Baring. He did not think it could be Elsie Baring whose sob he had heard. If it were Lady Ursula, was Meldrum the cause? How that suspicion would obtrude itself! He waited, nerves tense, but the sob was not repeated, and he was about to lay down again when there fell on his ear another sound, faint but distinct, a peculiar sound, a tap-tap-tapping. It was a rhythmic noise, and growing louder. What was it? Where did it come from? Apparently from the floor above, and it was not unlike a ghostly rapping. Certainly it sounded ghostly at that hour of the night. But Mr. Clavering was a materialist, and he was about to get up and investigate, when there came a clattering and a thud, followed by a piercing scream, which caused him to leap from the bed. Before he could don his dressing-gown, he heard a door near his open and close, and someone running down the hall. Struggling with his dressing-gown, which seemed to have no armholes, he hurried down the dark corridor in the direction whence the noise had come. He heard other doors opening, and excited voices crying out to know what the matter was. At the foot of a flight of stairs, leading up to the unused north wing, he saw a woman standing, looking upward. The moonlight, flooding through an uncurtained window, shone upon the gold-red hair and white, shocked face of Lady Ursula. She was still in her ball-gown. "'Oh, Mr. Clavering!' she cried breathlessly, as he advanced toward her with solicitude. "'Have I roused the entire household? It was so dark I lost my footing and fell the whole flight. I think I—I I have sprained my ankle.' She sank down weakly on the bottom stair and buried her face in her hands, shuddering. Mr. Clavering looked at her perplexedly. What could she have been doing after midnight in the north wing, a portion of the manor which she had told her guests was unfinished and had once been used for storage, but had now not been opened for years? He had little time for speculation. Guests and servants in all stages of disarray were flocking to the stairs. Lady Pevensey, in a marvellous headgear of the genus boudoir cap, and with her face swathed in a big motor veil, brought up the rear, excitedly demanding if the thief had been captured. Lord Meldrum, his face full of concern, pushed through the circle about Lady Ursula. "'Did you fall down the stairs? Are you hurt?' "'Just a little. My ankle,' she said faintly. Mr. Clavering noticed with surprise that Meldrum was fully dressed as he had seen him last, even to the mud-soaked boots that had roused his suspicions." Portstead, too, had evidently not been to bed, though he had exchanged his evening suit for a lounging robe. He looked haggard and careworn, and evinced more displeasure than solicitude over his sister's fall. Mr. Clavering wondered why he did not inquire what she was doing in the north wing at that hour, 
but it apparently did not interest him. It was Elsie Baring who put this not unnatural question. Lady Ursula made some confused explanation that no one could understand, and hastily accepted Meldrum's proffered arm to assist her to her room. As she limped past Mr. Clavering, leaning on Meldrum, perhaps more than was needful, he saw that her eyes were red and swollen. It was she, then, whose sob he had heard. But this being the case, how could it have been she who fell down the stairs? He had heard no door open till the fall and scream, and he was sure that the person who ran down the hall in response to it was a woman. The steps were light, and there had been a swish of skirts. Presumably this was Lady Ursula. But if so, who had fallen down the stairs? At that moment Mr. Clavering received a shock. Lady Pevensey's veil came unwound, and he was then and there initiated into certain secrets of that lady's night toilet. Being a gentleman of extreme delicacy of feeling, he immediately looked away and hurried to his room. As he approached Lady Ursula's, he saw Mary Grey in the doorway. She was offering to bathe and bind Lady Ursula's ankle in the absence of Rose. She would not hear to a refusal, and having enlisted Lord Meldrum on her side, proceeded to remove Lady Ursula's satin slipper, plainly against her wishes. Mr. Clavering went on to his own room to ponder over Lady Ursula's parting words to Meldrum, said in earnest, pleading tones, "'Please go to bed now, Wilfred. What is can't be helped.' When Mr. Clavering lighted his lamp—he could never think clearly in the darkness—he received a second shock. He found that in his excitement he had forgotten to put on his slippers, and had gone about the house in his bare feet. That accounted, then, for Mary Gray's amused glances— and for Beatrice Nolley's ill-suppressed giggles. He wondered if he would ever have the courage to face the ladies in the morning, especially Mary Gray. To a man of Mr. Clavering's nature, immaculately and fussily correct, no loss was so great as the loss of dignity. For the second time in his life he blushed at himself. So far his detective work had brought him only embarrassment, but would he get at the heart of the mystery yet and win Lady Pevensey's approval, if not more? it was some comfort to remember that she, too, had appeared at disadvantage, though the recollection of what the veil covered, or should have kept covered, still jarred on his aesthetic temperament. However, perhaps she did not every night put on those hideous plasters. Just then he heard Lady Ursula's door open. Mary Grey must have finished her ministrations. He listened for her to pass his room, as she must do to return to the east wing where she slept. Instead, the steps went down the hall in the opposite direction, toward the stairs to the north wing. Strange what should take her back there. It came into his mind that it might have been she who fell down the stairs. He decided to investigate. He went through the halls on tiptoe and without a lamp, wishing to come upon her unawares. As he drew near the stairs, he saw tiny lights flashing up and down them, and the sound as of someone creeping upward. He stole forward with added caution scarcely drawing his breath. He was certainly on the track of an important clue. "'Won't you hold the flashlight for me, Mr. Clavering?' suddenly spoke up Mary Gray in the most matter-of-fact tone. Mr. Clavering gasped. So she was actually going to brazen it out, the minx! "'It's not dangerous, Mr. Clavering,' she said softly. Again he had the disagreeable sensation that she was making sport of him. It was not to be endured. "'Miss Gray,' he returned very stiffly, I think that your presence here at this hour requires explanation. If you are unwilling to explain to me, I must insist on your doing so to Lady Ursula. Don't you think, Mr. Clavering, 
she asked without a trace of anger that lady ursula owes her guests an explanation a true explanation of the fall and scream that roused us from our sleep lady ursula gave an explanation yes but did you believe it miss gray said mr clavering severely i did not follow you here to answer questions but to put them mary gray bent toward him over the balustrade mr clavering you aspire to be a second sherlock holmes but you are on the wrong clue decidedly it is not i who stole the necklace or even fell down the stairs mr clavering resented this reading of his thoughts moreover it seemed to him suspicious i have not accused you of being the thief miss gray but i repeat that your presence here requires explanation hold the flashlight and you shall have the explanation she answered quickly mr clavering his astonishment deepening took the light flash it flash it she said impatiently there do you see on this stair and the one above on every one except the upper a long scar a fresh scar he followed her pointing finger i see it he responded eagerly what do you make of it his eyes sought hers no longer mocking but earnest brilliant the clattering noise he exclaimed ah there was a clattering noise she demanded breathlessly my room was so far away i could not be sure that explains the scar mr clavering the person who fell down the stairs carried a stout stick or cane and it was not lady ursula she lied about her ankle it was not sprained or bruised in the slightest mr clavering was hardly surprised but he was bewildered he could not yet feel much faith in mary gray at best she was a person of mystery again she seemed to read his thoughts i have as much interest as you in discovering the thief she said earnestly as lady pevensey's hired companion i am naturally placed in a very unpleasant position by the theft of the necklace it was all very plausible but mr clavering's doubts remained you did not trust me she said with a queer little sigh he did not deny the imputation but resorted again to questioning do you think that the person who fell down the stairs is in the north wing now mary gray put her head on one side and appeared to be listening i think she answered in crisp quick tones that somebody is trying to enter the library who may not be wanted there mr clavering listened tensely he heard it too the sound of a key stealthily turning in a lock the circular stairs leading down to the library were but a few feet away he hastened toward them remember that you are unarmed whispered mary gray he had indeed forgotten while he hesitated steps heavy and rather unsteady were heard crossing the library he's coming up whispered mary gray pulling mr clavering back against the wall he surely was coming up slowly and stumblingly mr clavering casting about him for some means of defence ruthlessly snatched down a curtain of rare old tapestry hanging above him peering down from the dark hall he could see the man now a shadowy slender figure with top hat at rakish tilt as he mounted the last spiral of the stairway mr clavering swooped upon him flinging the tapestry about his head the intruder gasped and struggled to free himself from the enveloping folds but only succeeded in winding them tighter mr clavering threw both arms about his prisoner and bore him to the floor now then who are you sir he demanded sternly hang it all do you want to suffocate a fellow growled a muffled voice from the tapestry i'm mr robert sylvester who the devil are you End of chapter four